pray for our time together.
just wanna be close to your heart This is where my healing finds its start Here is where I find my peace Where my soul is finally free I'm going all in, in all my head. I'm not scared to get drenched in your love. Wherever you go, God, I will follow. I'm not scared to get lost in your
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. You are a good, good Father. It's just who you are. So, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that those who are in Christ, God, have been adopted into your family, that we have been given sonship, that we've been given the right to call you Abba, that we are called to come boldly into your presence, Lord that we are now at peace with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, God, that we're no longer searching this world to be fulfilled or, or, or to, to find ourselves, but God, that we are found in Christ. Our identity, God, our, the wholeness, the, the beauty that comes from a life lived in Christ is only through Christ. Father, your word says that you've begun this work in us, that you loved us first. So, Father, we thank you for bringing us into the light, for breaking the chains of oppression, God, for liberating us, for freedom that is found in Christ. Your word says, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So, Father, for those who are in Christ today, oh, how I pray, God, that we would not take for granted the freedom that we have and the grace that has been given, the grace to transform us more and more into your image so that we can go forth, Father, and live, Lord, among the lost, calling them to repentance, Serving them and loving them as Christ served them and loved them, Lord. Oh, God, send us that we may be your hands and feet in this darkened generation. That your gospel will continue to go forth throughout the earth, Father, until you return. Find us faithful, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, community, two definitions I've been holding up. A group of people living in the same place are having a particular characteristic in common or a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as we've heard over and over so far throughout this year, Jesus, and we'll continue to hear until the end, Jesus is the center of the Christian community. We are almost out of June, going into July, the seventh month. And for almost seven months, we've been talking about community. And the importance of Christian community. Understanding, again, that Christ is the center of our community. Ultimately, we know the Word of God says He is the head and we are the body. 
and we are to be working together to accomplish the Father's purpose, His plan, His will, His design. We are to be utilizing the gifts that the Holy Spirit has distributed among us, and again, in order to accomplish His purpose. The Christian community is not about us, because every Christian, we come together with the understanding that we have died to ourselves. That we are now liberated in Christ. We understand the call of a disciple to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, and to follow Him. And in that, we come together to worship Him. The one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. The one who has called us out of darkness and to His marvelous light. The one who no longer (laughs) allows us to remain enslaved. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, that you were born and I was born into sin. And for a period of time, we lived in rebellion towards Him. We were darkened. Our, Our Father was the devil. We were under great oppression And yet there was a day set aside that God knew that He would call and you would answer. See, because the Bible says that He's prepared good works for you to do. Even before the earth was formed, you were purposed. And so, He's no longer on the outside looking in. Nobody's on the inside of us, because we've been given the Holy Spirit, God in us, working through us to accomplish what God has purposed for us. Again, He's no longer on the outside. No, if you're a believer, He's on the inside. And He's equipped us for such a time as this. And And I keep telling you all that I mean, another poll, another Gallup poll came out sometime this week. And it's the first time in our nation's history that adults are not believing in God. It's the lowest it's ever been in our nation. And I said, God help us. And it's not surprising because you can look at our nation and see how our nation has turned completely from God. And not just our nation, you can look throughout the earth and you can see the heart of man. It's wicked. It's corrupt. It's in rebellion to a loving God. Again, we keep hearing, it's not God who has the problems, it's us, the created. God is not at war with us. We are at war with Him. And even in the midst of it, He is pleased to reveal Himself to the created through His Son Jesus so that they may be saved. It is God's will that none shall perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Him. And God is faithful. There's not a child that's going to be born that God is not going to reveal Himself to. Everyone's going to have an opportunity 
to call upon the name of the Lord. But will they? And we know many won't. Many will not come to the saving knowledge of God through Christ. And how sad is that? How sad is that? And we know that as the days get closer and closer to His return, the love of many is growing, growing, going to grow colder. It's going to get more chaotic. The earth is going to shake. And I just keep thinking of Jesus' words throughout this week, and this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And we say, God, help us. But as the Christian community... How are we to live in the midst of all of this? And this is what my prayer is and has been for this year, is that I do pray that not only myself, but all of us would come to an understanding of what it means to live in community and the importance of community and what we are to be doing within the community in order not to just build our community, but to go out and impact other communities with truth. Because each of us leave this place and we go our separate ways throughout the week and we should be impacting other lives, other communities with truth. With truth. Loving, serving, upholding a standard of righteousness. Not just going along with them, but upholding a standard of righteousness. Not beating them over the head with the Bible, but loving them enough to tell them the truth being attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit on how you should move among them. And not just going in like a bull, rushing in just to overpower them. But to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, we're called to walk habitually in the Spirit so that we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But we also are walking and living in the Spirit, being attentive to the Spirit, in order, in order that the will of the Father is being done. So how attentive are we being in to the Spirit of God as we're going in and through our day? Because it's important so that we're not missing those opportunities to, to, to again, to, to be His hands and His feet. To not make our lives so much about us because that's the way the world is, is and it's getting deeper and deeper into self. It's all about me, myself, and I. And so we have to be mindful. We have to, we have to recognize who He is and who we are. And then what's the benefit of the community of believers? Because, you know, when we come together and, and we're there and we're here to, to worship Him, to honor Him, to hear from Him, to encourage each other, to edify each other, and to build each other up, because all week long, we're, we're being bombarded left and right with things. But all oh, the saints, when they come together, they ought to be rejoicing. They ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be looking forward to it. Because we're coming among the people with common interests. We're not striving to outdo each other. We're just, we're just grateful to be among each other. And to be in the presence of, of God together. I mean, God is with us. Every day, rather we're together or we're apart, He's with us. But there's something about when the saints come together in the presence of God, the harmony 
the unity, the collectiveness. Whoa, how that must please the Father. Because we're not here for ourselves, we're here for Him. And to hear from Him so that we can continue to grow and to mature and our roots get deeper down in Him. And then we come to a place to hold each other accountable and to really learn what it means to love others as we're loving our God. So some scriptures, scriptures again we've heard throughout the year, but just kind of rotating through them. Scriptures to encourage you in persevering in community. And if you haven't really given community a thought, then we're going into the seventh month of the year. I want to challenge you for the rest of the year to really seek the Father on how what community means to you and how you should be contributing to the community. So some scriptures to encourage you in that. Matthew 18. Verse 20. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. What a beautiful promise. Romans 1. Romans 1, 11 through 12. <clears throat> For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. It's a, uh, scriptures we've heard before. And, and I love these scriptures <clears throat> because not only does he long to come to equip the church, to encourage the church, but he's also longing to be encouraged by them. And that's how it should be. It's again like the scripture we read in Proverbs last week and we've heard before. Iron sharpens iron. Like we're coming together and we have a common interest <laughs> We're pursuing Christ together. Again, we're not we're not wearing masks. We ought not to be wearing masks. We ought not be pretending. But we ought to be very transparent. And as that book that I've been encouraging y'all to read by Pastor Levi, like in the, he he speaks as he as he's sharing and he's talking about mask and he's talking about transparency it's nothing that we haven't heard before but it's good just to hear it again the importance of community and being transparent and and having accountability and coming together and desiring to grow desiring to remain free that ultimately Christ would be glorified in our lives that we'll be mindful of our speech, mindful of our thoughts, 
Because as we think, so we go. And so we long for community. We long for fellowship. And I believe the reason why we don't long, if we're not longing for fellowship with other believers, is because we're lacking in fellowship with Christ. You, you, can't, you can't be in fellowship with Christ and not be among the believers, among the church, among community. I know people try to, but that's not biblical. Like when you have a rich, intimate fellowship with Christ, you long for rich, intimate fellowship with believers. And so I'm praying for us that, that we will have a greater intimacy with Christ so that we can have a greater intimacy with community. And like Paul, have that longing. When he says, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. Amen. Go to John chapter six. I mean John chapter 15. <clears throat> John chapter 15, verse 12 through 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Hebrews 10. Through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting, neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It was then, and so it is today, and so it will continue to be until he returns. How we ought to be living as Christians, as the community of believers, hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. This common hope that we have collectively. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Again, let us think of ways to motivate one another. How are we doing with that as a community, as the church? Motivating one another to acts of love and good works. Give thought to it. Think upon it. How you can motivate each other. To acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. 
As it's an issue today, as it issue as it was an issue then, as it will continue to be an issue, people don't have the desire to be among community, to be among fellowship. They see church as a second thought. If I can get it in, I'll go. If I'm able to, I will. But this ought to be something important. I remember when I first came to Christ, no one had to tell me. I knew in order for me to grow, I needed to be around people who were growing. I need to find a group of people with the same common interests, a desire to love Christ, to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to be encouraged in Christ, to be motivated in Christ. Because <laughs> apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And if God, through Christ, reveals the importance of the body of Christ, then how could I neglect it? I didn't need to have man teach me that. It was just something that I knew. And so when I finally found a fellowship, when I finally found a church, that was my family. Like, I I was there. It was important. Yes, life comes up and things happen. But ultimately, you're to be there and you are to be contributing. You're to be serving. You're to be allowing God to use you among the brethren so that you're putting into practice here what you ought to be doing out there. Thinking of others before you think of yourself. Not getting easily angry or provoked. Being transparent, dragging, learning how to think, praying things out in the darkness. Exposing the fruitless deeds of the darkness so you're living correctly among the unbelievers. We are called not to neglect our coming together. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The Heidelberg Catechism. Part two, we're still in. Deliverance. God the Son. Lord's Day 18. There's three questions this week. Again, this is just a tool that I presented to us. In hopes, in hopes that we're taking or sitting down with, and we're looking at the notes when they're sent out, we're looking at the scriptures, we're, we're understanding these questions and how it should provoke thought so that we then can have spiritual conversations with people. And that it's our truth. So, three questions. The first one, what do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven, he being Christ? And the answer, that Christ, while his disciples watched, was taking up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. 
Second question. But is it Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true, human and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. Actually, there's four questions this week. Third question. In his humanity, I'm sorry, if his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that has been taking on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. And again, these scriptures will be given to you so that you can see the answers in the Word of God. And maybe people don't ask you these type of questions. But it's important to be able to have a foundation and a grounding of truth about Christ so that if questions ever do arise from people, you're able to give them an answer. Again, I've said a few weeks ago, as the Bible says, we ought to be defending the faith, not being offended by it. A lot of Christians are offended by what they're supposed to say, what they're supposedly saying they believe. But we are not to be offended by God's truth. No, we should be able to defend it. And so this tool is a good tool to use to get grounded in your faith. And the final question, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? Well, first, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he spent, I mean, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. These are the benefits of Christ ascending to heaven. Let's hear it again. So the question, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. The common interest and hope of the Christian community is knowing Christ 
as our advocate in heaven, knowing that He has sealed us with His Holy Spirit whom we received when we came to Christ, and to know and as we're longing for His return to be united with Him. This is God's people. This is who we are. This is how we're to be living now. Not again entrapped or enslaved to the earthly mindset, to the temporal mindset, but to be united with Christ and have a heavenly mindset while we're still upon this earth doing the will of the Father. Since the beginning of time, we know that man, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. Sin entered into the earth, into into the creation. The created man and woman from then on were sinners. Complete rebellion. They took on the nature. And that nature again is at war with its creator. But again, as we've heard over and over and over throughout the years, Adam and Eve's sin did not surprise God. Because the cross wasn't an afterthought. No, the cross was always set. Jesus was always meant to come to redeem the created. That they would be restored back to God. God's plan, God's purpose. That He will have a people that He will call His own and in return they will call Him their God. And so we've seen, as, as we're reading through the, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God's plan and effect. And it doesn't matter how wicked, doesn't matter how vile, doesn't matter how dark the generations are getting, God's plan is still coming to pass. God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful to what He has already spoken Nothing is going to change that. And as we pick up today, walking through Scripture, go to 1 Kings chapter 15. At this point in the history of Israel, it's all out civil war. It's a mess. King after king... is doing the same thing before the king, before them, just evil. Not all of them. (laughs) But unfortunately, the majority of them. It's an all-out war, and so it is in our generation. People are, it's just an all-out war. Outdoing each other. Trying to live without God. Trying to, 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 to satisfy their desires, their longings, their wants, their needs. Making everything about them, creating their own religions, worshiping these idols. I mean, let's just think about this for a second. God set apart a people as He has from the beginning and as He will until the end and for all eternity ultimately. Praise God. But God has set up people, these people, were God's chosen people. 
I mean, he heard their cries and he delivered them in a miraculous way. And he was faithful in what he promised them. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what you will have. If you would just remember, I'm your God. And I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. My love will endure for you forever and ever and ever. Just follow me. Just follow me. And yet, and that, and that should open our eyes to truly see the heart of man. The issue with ourselves. What sin does. What this nature that we were born in that hates God. That's what's being exposed every time we open up Scripture. The living Word of God is going in and striking your sin nature a blow. It's revealing to you and to I how wicked apart from God we are. I'm going to think about that. As I've been meditating and praying throughout this week and just thinking about that, I mean, do we really understand that? And if we say, oh yes, I understand it, then I want you to think what you did this week... That you're unrepentant for. You saw no issue with. Your lies, your manipulation, your lust, your anger, your chaos, your insecurities, your mindsets. And yet we'll say, oh no, I understand. I understand the sin nature is being exposed every time the Word of God is open. But how are we responding? Because when we recognize it, we just can't say, oh look, they're bad people. No, no, we would be there with them. Apart from Christ, that's where we would be. There's a lot of people sitting in church. They're among the church, and yet they're not in Christ. They hear the Word of God over and over and over. God is pleased to strike a blow to that nature that's holding them captive in order for them to be free. Not because He's a bad God. He longs for us to be free. Not a religious people, but a free people that know Him, that love Him, and ultimately know that He loves us. Instead of playing these weird things that we do and we play. But He strikes a blow to that old nature. In hopes that we would live a new life. 
Jesus says we are to be born again of the Spirit. As we opened up, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, don't miss out on the chapter that we're reading now. As we picked up last week, God is striking a blow to discrimination, to being prejudiced, that prejudice, the dividing walls of Jews and Gentiles. From the beginning, the walls coming down. He, he's striking a blow to the religious establishment that over the years, men perverted to make it about what they do in order to be right with God, and God is stripping them. Those laws once served a purpose, but Christ has come, and now they're no longer needed because they are fulfilled. Christ didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. So ultimately, with the law being fulfilled, the creation could live in freedom. But not free to do what they want, not free to gratify their desires, but free to live as God's people. People that belong to God. People who are marked and sealed until the day of redemption by having His Holy Spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. That that old nature is receiving a blow in order to strip it of its power. Again, these are God's people. He set aside. Be holy as I am holy. The same call as it was for them is the same call as it is for us today. Because we're God's people. We're to be loving Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our bodies, and with all of our strength. As it was then, so it is today. The greatest commandment. And these people saw God move in miraculous ways. They experience something that is just mind-boggling. The power of God. They witnessed Him. He was with them. He moved mightily among them. He fulfilled everything that He promised. And then what did we read last week? <clears throat> they have shrines. Temples built for other gods where male and female prostitutes are being used. They have altars where children are being sacrificed. They have asher poles being erected. They have given themselves over to worshiping the idols and the gods of the other nations. How did they get there? How did they get there so quickly? But as we ask that question, we ask that about ourselves. How, and we look at our day, how did we get here? In a nation where the poll numbers just came out, 
It's the lowest ever since the nation was formed that people do not believe in God. How do we get here as a family? How do we get here as an individual? Where we love God one second, God is great, God is good, and then the next second, we're out and about, running amok, being in agreement with everything and anything and anyone and everyone. And we have no standards. We have no standard of righteousness. And so what's the answer? Is because we have no fear of God. He's become so common. He's just like all the other deities out there. And how sad. Because He's not. He's the living God. And as much as He loves us, as much as He desires to reveal Himself to us, He's a God of justice. And He loves you enough. You want to keep running Him up. He'll turn you over to what you want. And that's what He's done. And I said that statement last week. Israel, God's people, are now living like a godless nation. So He will treat them as such. And as He has done then, so He will do today. We want to live like an individual, like a, like a family, like a, like a nation that's godless. Well, then He'll treat us like the godless. Like His wrath is being stored up. And I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't say it enough. Like, you ought to care more about people's eternity than their temporalness. You know, so many times people want to stand and just blah, 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 blah to me. Oh, what God's doing and God's done in my life and oh, God is moving and I've had this opportunity and this opportunity and that opportunity. But then when you look at their life, you go, well, if you can say all of that, then why are you living the way you're living and thinking the way you're thinking, talking more about whatever, you know? Like, if you know God that intimately, why don't you have the fear of God that keeps you from living so loosely? We have to think about that for a second. So quick can pray a prayer, can know the word, can evangelize, can counsel, can do this and to do that. But they've got no relationship with God because they fear they don't fear Him. And so they're just religious. And the Bible warns us like, don't even fellowship with those people. I mean, again, we're, we're not called to, to not fellowship with the world, the lost. Because <laughs> if we were removed from them, then how would they know? But we've got to be mindful of how we're living. 
I mean, again, these were God's people. They were known by other nations throughout their history. I mean, even today we hear, oh, those are God's chosen people. But even today you can look at them and they are so godless. I mean, other nations knew. And so it is with the church and with Christians. People know they go to church. People know you go to church. People hear you say you love God. They see your postings. They see this. They see that. But then they also see the flip side. You're no different than them. Because you're posting, you're prideful, you're this and you're that over this and that, and everyone's together and everyone's going to heaven and everyone's this and everyone's that, as if it's some collective universe. A Unitarian hope and faith. And that's not what a Christian is. No, we're set apart. From the beginning to the end, God's people are people who are set apart. And God will always have His people in every generation. Even if the masses are wicked. God's people, the remnant, are holy. And I love as we pick up in the chapter today, just as vile and wretched and and depraved as we're seeing just how crazy and chaotic the the kingdoms are shaken, we're introduced to a prophet. Mm. (laughs) And that's so awesome. I got so excited. I've, I've been waiting to get to this. Because there's so much hope. There's so much mercy being displayed. We see it over and over and over. Just as much as we hear the Word of God, that we receive the blow to, to, the, to the flesh, is just as much as when we hear the Word of God, we receive the breath of power to ignite our spirit to grow in the image of its creator. Because we have Christ in us, the God in us. And so when we hear the word of God, we're to act upon it. We're to rejoice in it. And oh, how I rejoice to know that even in the darkest of darkest of times, God has a prophet. God has a people. God has a pastor. God has a church. I just posted of this pastor who was just beaten. He's a house church pastor. Worshipping Christians in his home. And they drug him out. And he was charged with trying to convert Hindus. And there were no Hindus in his home. But can you see and understand that people hate Jesus? People hate truth. And yet this truth is what sets the created free. (coughs) Again, there is nothing in Jesus' teaching, there is nothing in the Word of God from the beginning to the end that should stir up such hostility towards God. But it does because it's a spiritual war. 
people are enslaved by the enemy. Their father is the devil. Their own nature is in rebellion. So when you understand that, then you understand the hostility. Why is it, to, why is it that we're persecuting Christians? Well, they're in our way. They set the captives free. We want to keep them bound. I mean, again, in the natural, it wouldn't make sense. Why would you kill off a peaceful people? Who, again, should be productive in their communities. They should be living simple lives, peaceful lives, not stirring up strife. Not gossiping, not backbiting, not bound by lust, not bound by deception, but contributing. You don't have to believe in their God. But man, they're good workers. (laughs) We need them. Oh, but no, kill them. Kill them because it comes from the highest rank. Satan himself. Kill them. He's been at war. And he knows his time is near. But as Christians, we're no longer bound to him. We're free. We belong to God. Our eyes have been opened. And by God, that's how we ought to be living. We ought to be the people of God in this generation. As dark and as crazy and as chaotic as it's getting, we ought to be the people of God who are living for God, loving God, taking authority as they're going out, dealing with the spiritual realm, learning how to battle, learning how to to get grounded and rooted in truth, learning to be attentive to the Holy Spirit and His leading, but ultimately learning what it means to fear God. Because with no fear of God, you're going to turn from God. No fear of God. And why do you think the enemy has done his best to strip the the understanding of the fear of God? We make it just about, oh, it's a reverence. No. It's more than just a reference. It's fear. He's a holy God. And in my fear of Him, that doesn't keep me from Him. No, it draws me ever so closely to Him. To learn of Him. To know of Him. Because He loves me. But I need to keep him who he is and not try to strip him from what makes me feel comfortable about him. He's a holy God. One in whom before he revealed himself to me, I was in rebellion towards, as you were. But now that I know that he has freed me and has so graciously loved me, and has adopted me, and has given me the grace to be in the power to be transformed, and the mercy that has been extended to me day after day after day 
after day. No, I don't want to strip him down. And when that old nature tries to rise up within me, to strip him down, or to make him common, no, I ought to remind that old nature, no, he's God. And as much as I love him, I fear him. But my walk and my life in him is not based off fear. It's based out of love. But he's a holy God and I need him to remain holy. I don't want to strip him down. Because I know his wrath is being stored up. And it's going to be unleashed. Like again, you can't make up what's happening. We are living more and more. It's clearer and clearer. Biblical prophecies are being fulfilled. Revelations are happening. Christ is returning. And God has a people still upon the earth. Praise be to God. And as long as we're still on this earth, the lost have hope. But once we're removed, God help them. God help them. And when I thought about that this week, like the church, collectively, Christians, individually, we have been given the task to go forth into this world that we once consumed and loved to be hope. To go forth and to tell others, the wrath of God is coming. Turn to God. Repent. Come this way. Because once we're removed, oh God, God help those who remain and what they have to endure. But while we're here, we need to be about our Father's business. And that's what I love as we begin to transition, begin to be introduced to these prophets. That Israel has grown to be an utter rebellion towards God. And we ultimately will see that they kill off the prophets. They don't want to hear the truth. As it was then, so it is now. So that's what I'm saying. Our Christianity just can't be this weak-willed religion. How did Christian? How did the church get to this spot where we made Christianity this weak-willed religion? Where if we show up for church if we can, we'll live godly today if we can, depending on what comes against me. I mean, what kind of craziness is this? When we are purposed for today and this generation. To live for God, to know God, to love God, to be God's representative on this earth. That's nothing to be waspy and wimpy and flighty about. Like you are God's representative upon this earth. And we're to live for Him. We're to love Him. And we're to be about His business. Telling others the good news of the gospel, salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. This is the way out. And if you choose not to go this way, then understand the wrath of God is coming. 
we are, and I'm not, I'm not depressed when I read the article that we are living in a nation that's godless and is more godless than it's ever been since the foundation of it. No, what that does is that incites something within me to say, God, that it's time for revival. Because if it's that dark, if it's that dry, just one little ember will set ablaze. And we ought to be the embers that are going out there in this dry land, setting ablaze. And that should give us hope. So just because, again, it's getting darker, we don't grow in despair. No, that's such a great opportunity then that we have to go forth and to be the representative of God and His kingdom and of His Son, Jesus, the Messiah, so that others would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Because apart from Christ, it's chaos. <coughs> apart from God, it is chaos. And as we pick up in chaos, 1 Kings 15, verse 25. And we're going to read through 17. Here we go. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, began to rule over Israel in the second year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Israel two years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his father, continuing the sin that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. I mean, hear that phrase over and over as we're reading through this. <laughs> then Basha, son of Ahijah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against Nadab and assassinated him while he and the Israelite army was laying siege to the Philistine town of Gibbethon. Basha killed Nadab in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah, and he became the next king of Israel. He immediately slaughtered all the descendants of King Jeroboam, so that not one of the royal family was left, just as the Lord had promised concerning Jeroboam by the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. This was done because Jeroboam had provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by the sins he had committed and the sins he had led Israel to commit. The rest of, the, of the, the events in Nadab's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the king of Israel's, kings of Israel. There was constant war between King Asa of Judah and King Basha of Israel. Basha, son of Ahijah, began to rule over all of Israel in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Basha reigned in Tizra 24 years. But he did what was evil, what was evil in the Lord's sight, and followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins of Jeroboam, had led Israel to commit. The message from the Lord was delivered to King Basha by, by the prophet Jehu, son of Haniah. I lifted you out of the dust to make you ruler of my people Israel, but you have followed the evil example of Jeroboam. You have provoked my anger by causing my people, Israel, to sin. So now I will destroy you and your family. 
just as I destroyed the descendants of Jeroboam, son of Nabar, Nabat. The members of Basha's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. The rest of the events of Basha's reign and the extent of his power are recorded in the book of the history of kings of Israel. When Basha died, he was buried in Tirzah. Then his son Eli, Eli became the next king. The message from the Lord against Basha and his family came through the prophet Jehu, son of Hanayim. It was delivered because Basha had done what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as the family of Jeroboam had done. And also because Basha had destroyed the family of Jeroboam, the Lord's anger was provoked by Basha's sins. Eli, son of Basha, began to rule over Israel in the 26th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in the city of Tirzah for two years. Then Zimri, who commanded half of the royal chariots, made plans to kill him. One day in Tirzah, Eli had getting, was getting drunk at the home of Arsa, the supervisor of the palace. Zimri walked in and struck him down and killed him. This happened in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Judah. Then Zimri began the next king. Zimri immediately killed the entire royal family of Basha, leaving him not even a single male child. He even destroyed distant relatives and friends. So Zimri destroyed the dynasty of Basha as the Lord had promised through the prophet Jehu. This happened because of all the sins Basha and his son Elah had committed. And because of the sins they led Israel to commit, they provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worthless idols. The rest of the events in Elijah's, Elijah's I'm sorry, Elas' reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Zimri began to rule over Israel in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. But his reign in Tirzah lasted only seven days. The army of Israel was, was then attacking the Philistine town of Gibbethon. When they heard that Zimri had committed treason and had assassinated the king, the very day they chose Omri, commander of the army, as the new king of Israel. So Omri led the entire army of Israel up from Gibbethon and to attack Tirzah, Israel's capital. When Zimri saw the city had been taken, he went into the citadel of the palace and burned it down over himself and died in the flames. For he too had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of Jeroboam and all the sins he had committed and led Israel to commit. The rest of the events in Zimri's reign and his conspiracy are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Now we keep hearing over and over and over, they have sinned. They have done evil in the sight of the Lord. Don't miss that. They had no fear of God. They did not uphold the statutes of God. The standards of God. They didn't look to God. God was not their God. They were worshiping other gods. They led others to worship the other gods and to give in to all of that filth. And as I was reading this chapter over and over this week and just studying through these chapters here, I'm reminded from the New Testament. 
where we're told constantly in the letters to the churches, those who live this way, and they list all these wicked ways, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be fooled. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, and yet, main denominations, Christians who have walked supposedly with the Lord (coughs) many years of their life, they're doing vile and wicked things. They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And they think that they're okay. But they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know why we think we can just pervert God's word. I mean, again, these are God's people. These are kings. I mean, some of them were kings that prophets were sent to. And prophets told them, this is the word of God. Remember Jeroboam? I mean, Jeroboam, I'm going to raise you up. And you're going to have this dynasty, man. It's going to be great for you. But serve God. Love God. And what does he do? He turns from God. I mean, they know the history of God. And how he has called them out. How he has saved them. How he has redeemed them. How he has called them his own. And look how they're living. They've got no fear. They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, how that would be said. Of denominations, of churches, of Christians today. No different. They have seen God move. They have heard God's word. And yet they're living and doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And instead of repenting, they're just rebelling even more. They let shame and guilt and condemnation rule them instead of humbling themselves before a holy God and receiving from Him the grace and the mercy that He longs to give them. You see, again, it's not God. If any of these people would have turned, if any of these kings would have turned, and we see King Asa, he did so much, he didn't go all the way though. But if we would just recognize, I've lost my way. I can't keep going this way. I can't keep doing it this way. My flesh and my spirit are at war with me within. And what I feed breeds and what I starve dies. <laughs> and I don't want to live by my flesh any longer. I want to live by the Spirit of God who has raised me up from the mire and the muck. And I want to live as a liberated man, a free man. I mean, these people had no fear. But it doesn't stop God from accomplishing what God is bringing about. Jesus will still come through this. 
the Messiah will still come. But oh, how sad <coughs> that God's people have chosen to return to their vomit. They've chosen to do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 21. But now the people of Israel were split into two factions. Half of the people tried to make Tibni son of Ginnath the ki- their king, while the other half supported Omri. But Omri's supporters defeated the supporters of Tibni. So Tibni was killed, and Omri became the next king. Omri began to rule over Israel in the 31st year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned 12 years in all, six of them in Tirzah. Then Omri bought the hill, now known as Samaria, from its owner, Shimnir, for 150 pounds of silver. He built a city on it and called the city Samaria in honor of Shimir. But Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any other kings before him. He followed the example of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and all of his sins he had committed and led Israel to commit. The people provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worthless idols. The rest of the events in Omri's reign, the extent of his power and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Omri died, he he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Ahab became the next king. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any other kings before him. It just keeps getting darker and darker and darker. And though, and as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethba of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down to worship Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asher pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other kings of Israel before him. In his, I'm sorry, it was during his reign that Hill, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundation, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abram. And when he completed it and set up its gates, it cost him the life of his young son, Sigda. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now, Elijah was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Here's this prophet, a mighty prophet of God, a man of God, who is now standing up against one of the wickedest kings Israel ever has had. Then the Lord Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide 
by the Kirith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now understand, there is there an extreme drought taking place and will take place during this time. But even in the midst of what Israel is going to have to suffer because of her own actions, again, not because God's a bad God, but because of her own actions deciding to live godless, God is going to still supply for His people. His people will have to go and endure, but God will supply for them. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and camped beside the Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now understand this, when you see about these ravens, I mean, much less about there being no rain, no much less what God is doing through nature. But I also think about the ravens. They're all obedient to God. God's other creation is obedient to Him. If He tells them to do, they do. If he tells the, 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 the rain to hold off, it holds off. If he tells the birds to go, they go. It's the created man, that which is made in God's own image and has been given. <laughs> the ability to say, no, I won't do. I won't do. God of all creation. Lord of all, speaks to the brook, speaks to the raven, the ravens respond, God withholds the rains, the brook dries up, but God has not forsake his prophet. But I was so moved by just seeing just the, the power of God and the obedience of a raven and of the elements of the weather. And don't forget, if you had never studied who Baal was, like, he was the god of fertility. He was the god that, that promoted, you know, rain and growth and all of this stuff. He was the god that these people worshipped. And yet the land is dry. Their god is not really a god at all. But yet they keep serving him. And as it is with us, when we're apart from Christ, we're serving other deities out there that we think are fulfilling us, but in the end, they're just bringing us to a dry place, to death. Oh, that our spiritual eyes would be open. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the, the village of Zephyrath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zephyrath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. 
But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to come, I'm sorry, to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. This is a Gentile woman, you all. This isn't even an Israelite woman. This is a Gentile woman. And God sends the man of God to a Gentile woman to feed him. Her first response is to say, this is all I have. We're going to eat our last meal and die. Don't you see our situation? But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. And oh, can we just rest there for a moment? I don't know if you rest as you read scripture and just meditate upon that. I mean, you understand the dire uh, circumstance, what this woman is enduring, what is happening around her. It's things aren't going well in their area. She settled in her heart that this would be the last meal. We will die. And to hear, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. Woman, you will have provision by the hand of the God of Israel. He will care for you as you obey Him. So how does she respond? So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick, and he grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to a room where he was staying, and he laid the body on the bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And as he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know. For sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. God is preparing Elijah for what's ahead for Elijah. But as God is preparing Elijah, God is revealing himself 
to this Gentile woman. You see, this is God, you all. His plans, His purpose to make Himself known to all. That they may respond to Him. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 24 through 48. Again, we pick up where Peter is now entering into the Gentile home. Peter, of all people, please don't miss this. He was the Jew of the Jew, he was the apostle Peter. Remember, he even told God last week, God, I haven't eaten anything that goes against our dietary laws. He told God, no, I won't eat that. And God says, oh, no, don't you curse what I've made good. God tore down. And again, as I've said, I think I said on Wednesday night, if people want to hold to that, then they should hold to it for their purpose, but don't make it about God's plan. Yes. These religions out there that hold these forms of doctrine as if it's godly, it's actually demonic. Because you're twisting God's word. Again, if you want to hold it, you want to eat what you want to eat, and you don't want to eat what you don't want to eat, that's up to you. That's up to you. Don't put it on God. And the same thing that we see here with divisions, with racial tension, God brings it down. He tears the wall down. And He says, all nations, all tribes will worship Me. Peter, I am sending you, the Jew of the Jew to the, of the Jew, to a Gentile. And you're going to deliver a message to him. Because he's a God-fearing man. But now it's time for him to come in to the family. And so it's weird that in the day and age in which we're living with CRT and all this racial brouhaha that's kicking up, that the church is responding in the way that she's responding like the world. Listen, the church already knew the walls have come down. Why are we acting as if we're like the world, still having racial issues? And you say, oh, but there's still no. If the church is the church, the church knows all are welcomed. All are new in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free. What matters is Christ and Christ alone. But when we start making the color of our skin, our nationality, our, our ethnicity or whatever, more than Christ and the heritage in which we have received as being adopted into God's family... Something it's wrong, it's demonic. And we're letting the devil run amok. 
We've got to be able to stand and say, no, God's already tore down those walls. And if there's stuff going on in the church, well, then by God, the church ought to get up and address it in God's leading, in God's way. Not pinning people up against each other. That's not what the church is supposed to do. We are one. We're to live in harmony with each other. Not making one race feel bad or up against the other and we're pinning everyone up against each other. That's not how it's to be. That's why I get so encouraged when I'm reading this chapter here. I mean, everything Peter held on to, God is stripping him of it. It's not about your religion, Peter. Not about the rules and the laws you followed or the people that you disdained. No, it's about me. It's about my son Jesus and what he's done in your life. Now go be my servant and tell others, especially those who you deem worthless. Verse 24. They arrived at Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Now understand, Cornelius was already a God-fearing man. He just hasn't received Christ. He understood the knowledge of God. He wanted to serve God. He longed to do what was right. And God is moving now on his behalf so that he, and not only him, look how this man's life influenced his family. Those around him. Peter has an open door now. A group of Gentile people. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Oh God help us. So I came out without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius replied, for days. Four days ago, I was praying in my home about the same time, <clears throat> three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And don't miss out as we read in Kings, as we're hearing now, the Lord is hearing the prayers. 
God is involved. Unless you think he is a distant God. No, he is actively. He is actively present among us. In every situation and every circumstance. He is bringing about his purpose and his plan. He's a great God. He's a good God. <clears throat> then Peter said, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Please don't miss out on Peter's words. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. In every nation. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message at baptism? And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witness of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one, he is the one all the prophets testify about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, Peter was laying out the gospel. You want to know how to preach the gospel? Just as Peter did. You ought to learn that. That's what you're telling people. You're not telling them how to be a Christian. You're not telling them how to live like a Christian. You're telling them about Jesus. And in their knowledge of Jesus, in their repentance and their acceptance of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will lead them to be baptized and then to be discipled. But your first conversation with non-believers is not telling them to clean up their lives. But it's to come to Jesus. You're to be a witness for Jesus. And the witness and what is testifying through your life is His resurrection power. And it ought to be seen in your life. Not a lukewarm Christian. Not one foot in and one foot out. I love Jesus today, but I can't make it tomorrow. But a life committed to Christ, living for Christ, loving Christ, seeking Christ, honoring Christ, not in our own strength, in and of ourselves, we wouldn't. And that's how you know you're in the flesh. When you have no desires for the things of God, only when you need Him. Show up, God, and I'll be Lord of all. That's not knowing Christ. It is a committed walk through obedience. And Peter was laying it out to the Gentiles. The message, the good news of Jesus. And even as Peter was saying these things, oh God, the outpouring again, part two. 
of the Holy Spirit. First he fell on the Jews in the upper room, and now he's going to fall upon the Gentiles. And I'm telling you, the church ought to get excited. This is all-inclusive. Everyone, everyone, no matter who you've been, what you've done, where you are, how people look down on you. I mean, the, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. They were nobodies to them. But even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers, remember Peter took a, 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 a group of Jewish Jews with him who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they had heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with him for several days. Oh my goodness, how can you not read that and not rejoice? How could you not hear the word of the Lord as the word of the Lord is being read and it's taking, it's taking your, your, your flesh is taking a blow and yet your spirit is being revived. We're living in chaotic times where people are, are still holding on to religious law to make them right with God. Demonic. We're living in crazy times where race and everybody's pinning up against each other. Demonic. And we are not to be bowing down to demons. Because we're in submission to God. And to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We won't be people who are prejudiced. We won't be people who will hold forms of religion by following rules of religion. Well, I'm better because I do this. And you don't, so you're the weak one. It's absolutely insanity what's going on out there. No wonder people are godless. The enemy has done all that he's doing to keep people from God. And the church ought to be doing all that she should be doing, empowered by God, to bring people to God. Oh, it's time that we wake up. Psalm 134. And be the church. I, man, I tell you. I mean, I look and, you know, praise God that we're able to gather. But how sad that it's so empty. We're living in a godless nation. Just give me enough Jesus where I feel comfortable with him. But did you see the response of Cornelius and those that were with him? Did you see Peter's response? Let's baptize them. And it's like pulling teeth to get people baptized nowadays. 
And then there's some places that are having all these baptisms. The people are running and flooding the waters. But yet they're running right back out and flooding in to the bars and to the culture. I said, God, what is going on? God says, be mindful and watchful. There's a revival coming. And when the people are awakened, they won't be wishy-washy. Because they're at a point of desperation that they're going to know that they know that they know that I am God. I mean, look at Cornelius. He was following God of what he knew of God. And God heard his prayers. And God said, I will pour out my spirit upon them. Oh, that there would be an awakening, that we would have a hunger and a thirst for God. For God. For all that He has for us to accomplish His purpose. 134. Oh, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who serve at night in the house of the Lord. Lift up holy hands in prayer and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Jerusalem. The Lord who made heaven and earth. We are living in an age where the upcoming generation are more and more godless. They're not raised among the church community. They're not raised to hear the testimonies of the Lord, their God. They're beaten down. They're forsaken. They're neglected. And then they're cursed because they don't act right. And I say, God help this upcoming generation. God help this upcoming generation to know their God. That their parents, their grandparents, people who have influence in their life would be a testimony of the living God to them. That they would remember there was one. There was one. As I've been sharing 25 years ago, I I gave my life to Christ and God used the one memory I had to remind Him, to remind me that He is the living God. Because of my grandpa. Because of my grandpa. And I wasn't with him every day. I didn't have a close relationship. It was just visits that I had during the summer or whenever we went up there. And that was only for a short time of my life. After my parents' divorce, I never saw the man again. In fact, I totally forgot about him. But it was that day that God reminded me of my grandpa. And even at that young age, thinking in my head that Jesus was my grandpa's best friend. And the impact that he had on my life when he would sit and read the Bible to me. And that time when he looked at me sitting on his front porch and said, Robbie, Jesus is going to call you to preach his word. 
My grandpa had no clue the years that were set before me. But what he did know is that God called me. And oh, how I pray that we would speak to the youth, that we would live Christian lives before them, not wishy-washy lives, not broken lives, but lives that have been healed and restored and living a resurrected life, a new life in Christ, because Christ has been resurrected. He's not still on the cross. He's not still in the tomb. He's not still in the manger. He's a resurrected Christ. And if you're preaching the resurrected Christ, then allow the power of the resurrection be lived in and through you. Because the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And so you have to ask yourself, then why are you still a slave to sin? doesn't mean that you won't sin, but you ought not to be a slave to sin. You're making a mockery of Christ. And the youth, the generation, looks at us and says, there is no God. But there is a God. And He's the Lord our God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the living God. He is the one who is a good, good father. He is the one that loves us. He is the one who calls us. He is the one who is pleased to reveal himself to us time and time and time and time and time and time time again and hopes that we would come to him. See, he first loves us. It's the Holy Spirit that awakens us to see our need for Him. Proverbs. So we ought to praise the Lord as Psalm 34 is declaring over us. Proverbs 17, verse 9 through 11. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. Evil people are eager for rebellion, but they will be severely punished. Let us worship our God, and then I'll close us in prayer.
God is so much bigger than troubles I face. Why would I hunger for power, riches, or fame? Oh, cause my God is so much better than all of these things. So I